I want to thank you for subscribing to our podcast and for listening today. Feel free if you would like uh, to rate and review us. Uh, we would also love to connect with you. If you would like to, to speak to a pastor or if you would want more information about our church, you can text CONNECT to 903 586 6520 and we will uh, certainly follow up with you if you would like to uh, support the ministry here at, at fellowship bible church uh, we would greatly appreciate that uh, we have worked hard to improve our our video quality and our online capabilities so that you can watch us during this uh, difficult time away safely from a distance so uh, if you would if you would like to support the ministry here you can text give to the same number 903-586-6520 we would greatly appreciate your support and again thank you for listening in do you watch the news and just shake your head the world around us is messed up am i right I mean, good grief. Wars and conflicts and riots, floods and droughts, political battles over everything, abortion and mass shootings and epidemics, and the list just goes on and on and on. And sometimes I just think, come Lord Jesus. Why is this taking so long? I look at all the evil around and I, and I just want the Lord to just stop it right here and right now. I mean, do you ever wonder why, why Jesus doesn't just come and take us to heaven? Why hadn't done it already? If you've ever thought any of this, then, you, then you're not alone. The disciples wondered about these things too. And they asked, when Lord, when are you going to fix this mess? And in typical form, Jesus gave them a surprising answer. I open this morning with a reading from Acts chapter 1 where the, the disciples asked Jesus, when is he going to restore? When were you going to restore your kingdom? And Jesus told them, it's not for you to know, but you have a mission to do. Oh. July is missions month. And we've been studying that mission. Um, Kevin started this month with a great sermon on pursuing the lost in a fallen world where he examined Paul's strategy to reach those in Athens. And Graham brought two messages from his series in Luke where um, he showed Jesus' compassion for the lost and the coming judgment for those who reject him. And I'm going to take us to two passages in Acts to close out Missions Month with some very practical applications that we can take from this month of missions messages. Just like the, the believer, just like the disciples, believers today are on a mission. And we will be on this mission until Jesus comes, the way he left. And I'm going to break this down into three things, okay? The what of missions, the where of missions, and the how of missions, okay? 
By the end of this sermon, believers, you're going to know exactly what Jesus said to do, where he said to do it, and then a very practical example of how each of us as believers can obediently reach out to the lost for Christ. The book of Acts is, is a wonderful record of the early church and very practical instruction and examples for us too. Turning your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts begins at the very end of Jesus' earthly ministry. He's trained his disciples. He's healed the sick. He's cast out demons. He's preached the gospel. He's made a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He rebuked those who rejected him as God. He laid his life down, died on the cross, was buried, and raised himself up from the dead. He then revealed himself to over 500 people over the next 40 days. And we're going to pick up this story at the very last instructions from Jesus to his disciples. These are literally the last words of Jesus in his earthly ministry. Last words are important, right? Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And we're going to look at this first point, the what of missions. The what of missions. The disciples are asking, Lord, since you rose from the dead, when's your kingdom coming? Right? It's, it's, all that hard stuff's done, right? When will you restore Israel? And Jesus tells them it's coming, but it's not for you to know when. And then look at verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In Acts 2, Luke records that the Holy Spirit did fall on them. And they went from, from cowering, from hiding in the upper room, to proclaiming and witnessing to everyone they could run across. Just exactly like Jesus said. Jesus said, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. And they did. They were filled by the Holy Spirit and they began to witness. They told everyone who Jesus is and what he had done. They started and they didn't stop. Everywhere they went, everything they did, they did with Jesus' last words ringing in their ears. The what of missions is this command. You will be my witnesses. The very first sermon I heard Graham Hale preach was in Acts chapter 4, and I'll, and I'll never forget it. Um, in this passage, Peter and John were in the temple, and they were teaching the people and proclaiming Jesus is the resurrection from the dead. And the rulers, the elders, the Pharisees, they, they drug them down in front of the council, and they told them, stop teaching about Jesus. Just, just, just be quiet about Jesus. And I don't think I'll ever forget what he said. He said, isn't it something in Acts chapter 4, the council was telling him, just be quiet. 
And in pulpits all over, preachers are begging people, won't you please just, just mention him? You could have heard a pin drop. I turned to, I turned to Terry and I said, listen to this. This pastor wants his church to tell people about Jesus. That's the Sunday that Terry and I started coming here and we've been coming ever since. Our hearts are alike that way. Believers, if you're truly a follower of Jesus, this same command is still in place for you. Listen, brothers and sisters, this isn't maybe you'll be filled and you might be my witnesses maybe that one time. That, that's not what it says. And as we learn from Graham's difficult doctrine class, when you surrendered your life to the Lord, you received the Holy Spirit. He took up residence in you and he empowers you and uses you for ministry. The moment you surrendered your life, that's an important word, surrendered. When you surrendered your life, you were filled so that you would be a gospel witness to who Jesus is and what he's done. And you can't do that without the Holy Spirit. You won't do that without the Holy Spirit. And this is the mission for every believer. That's why you weren't just zapped right into heaven. That's why. Jesus saved you from your sin, death, hell, and the grave to do something. To be his witnesses. To testify that Jesus is the only hope in this sin-cursed and fallen world. That in him is abundant life now and life everlasting. To testify to that truth so that others might be saved. The what of missions is witness. Write that down. The what, I'll say it again. The what of missions is witness. Does that word witness scare you? You think, whoa, man, you're the preacher. You went to school. I can't do that. I might mess it up. I might say something wrong. I might get a little pushback. The Launida lexicon gives us a very simple and very helpful definition for the Greek word used here, witness. Uh, take a look at this on the screen. To witness, to provide information about a person or event concerning which the speaker has direct knowledge. That's pretty simple. The term witness is also connected to a legal proceeding, right? A witness provides information about their direct knowledge. To be a witness for Jesus is to talk about what Jesus did in your life. I mean, something happened, right? Something, something happened. What happened to you? What did you do and what did Jesus do? Nobody can effectively argue with that. Nobody can say, no, that's not what you experienced. 
You say, well, yeah, it was. I was there. You weren't there. I was there. Right? I mean, there's, there's no argument with that. No effective one. If you're a believer, then you're a first-hand witness to what God did in your life. You can tell somebody what happened. You can testify that Jesus is alive, that he's real, and that he saved you, and that he can save them too. Brand new baby believers can do this. A very good friend of mine was telling me about, he took his kids to the park, and his youngest was running around playing on the stuff, and you know, made a new friend like kids do in about two seconds, right? Said, oh, what's your daddy do? Uh, what's your daddy do? Oh, he, he's a pastor. Huh, what's a pastor? Oh, well, he's, he's somebody who shares the gospel. Really? What's the gospel? And then proceeded, this child proceeded to tell her brand new friend who Jesus is and what he done. I mean, bam, bam, bam. Easy, simple. This is so easy, a child can do it. Week after week, you hear the gospel proclaimed from this pulpit. You know that salvation is a gracious gift of God, that every single person is a sinner, and that we can't save ourselves, that God is just and he must punish sin, but God mercifully made a way and he sent his son Jesus to earth. He lived a perfect life without any sin, and then he laid his life down for us. He took the wrath of God for our sin. He died on a cross, was buried, and three days rose from the dead. And that right now he's preparing a place for us and he will return. There you go. That's the whole thing. In order to be saved, we must place our faith in Jesus as God and trust in Jesus Christ alone as our Savior and our source for eternal life. That's how can we be saved. Believers, week after week, you've heard it. And if you've believed it, do you believe this? If you've believed it, then you can share it. The very purpose of our church is to Escort the lost to Christ. Establish you in the truth found in God's word. And equip you for the work of the ministry. And the work of the ministry is to do what Jesus said until he comes back. Be my witnesses. So that's the what. That's the what of missions. That you be Jesus' witnesses. Now let's talk about point number two, the where. The where to follow his command to be a witness. The where of missions is point number two. Look at Acts 1.8 again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Witnesses where? It's right there, Right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. And it happened just like that. Acts 1.8 is a great outline of how the gospel spread. Just exactly the way Jesus said. 
It, it was started in Jerusalem and then Judea and then in persecution came to the church in Jerusalem and they left town <laughs> and that's when it spread to Judea. Stephen was stoned and Saul was dragging people out of the church. Yeah, they left, a bunch of them. So under persecution they left town, but, but they kept being a witness. They didn't stop that. They, they, made, they changed places, but they didn't change missions. The gospel continued to spread, and it spread into Samaria, and then in missionary travels. We, we read about how the gospel spread to Greece and Rome, and it's still spreading today. But there's something here I want you to take a look at. Look carefully. At the end of Acts 1-8, it says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Okay, don't glaze out on me. A little, a little grammar here, okay? And is a conjunction, okay? And the word and means... And. <laughs> it does not mean or. And does not mean or. Jesus said you'll be my witnesses to all four places. It's not multiple choice. How does that work? Dr. Chris McGuffey is a DTS graduate and he spent the biggest part of his career with uh, Campus Crusade for Christ. He was a missionary to the former Soviet Union and then later to China and then later to Greece. For over 20 years, he served on the missionary field. And Guff now serves as pastor of ministry strategies at Grace Bible Church in College Station. And at Missions Week uh, this spring at DTS, he explained this. And I wanted to share it with you. There's clearly a progression here, okay? There's a sequence and, and a kind of a priority, if you will. It begins in Jerusalem, those closest to the disciples, right? These are, both, these are people who are both near them and like them, okay? And then it went to Samaria, I mean, then it went to Judea. These are people that are like them, but not so near them. And then to Samaria, and these are people who are not like them and not near them. And then it talks about the end of the earth. These are people who are, who are far from them and very much not like them, right? That's the progression. You see that? But what about us? Are we all supposed to move to Jerusalem? The timeless truth for our generation and culture is that we're to be these witnesses. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you these four places. I'll put a, a place in your notes for this. Number one, we are to be witnesses to those who are most like us, who are most near you and most like you. Who's that? That's your family. That's your household. That's your children and your parents and your brothers and your sisters. Okay? Number two, second, to those who are not like you, and not, but not so near you. These are your neighbors. These are your coworkers, the folks you play golf with or fish with or go to your kids' and grandkids' soccer game or whatever else you do. Okay? 
Third, those people who are not like you and not near you. Those in our community who are different races or social groups with different upbringing, uh, different ways of thinking. And fourth, those who are far from you and very much not like you. Those in different countries and cultures. When we hear missions, it's this last group that probably comes to mind, right? And they're definitely on the list. And your giving to foreign missions, your support, your prayer, that, that counts. That definitely does count. But we're not limited to giving. Brent plans trips every year to Costa Rica and Nicaragua and Africa. And, and I bet if more people would go, he'd do more. He'd plan more. I mean, I haven't talked to him about it, but I, I know him. And God may call, be calling you to a short-term trip. And Jesus, to share Jesus with somebody who's far away. Or maybe even to move. Um, Graham talks about that it's his heart's desire that we'd be ascending church. Um, Perhaps God is calling you to something awesome where your faith will grow and you'll mature in ways that you that would never happen if you were home. But, but, three-fourths of the wear of missions is within driving distance. Did you know that, that Samaria was only 35 miles from Jerusalem? It's around the corner. Quicker than a trip to Tyler. The reality is for us, though, is that people not like you are a lot closer than that, aren't they? They're right here in town. And some of these people may not have anyone else who will love them enough to share the most important thing they'll ever hear. So, we've talked about the what, we've talked about the where. Let's get practical. Let's explore some strategy. Let's come up with some strategy here. The how of missions. How do we do this? Flip over to Acts chapter 9. We're going to pick up in verse 36 to see how an everyday regular disciple was a witness for Jesus. This is a great example that we can follow to reach the lost around us. This event takes place after Stephen was stoned and Saul was traveling around persecuting people. But earlier in chapter 9, Saul's knocked off his horse <laughs> um, on the road to Damascus, so to speak. And folks are still scared of him. But by the middle of Acts 9, Paul is starting to preach the gospel. And he's starting to get persecuted himself. And then we pick up here in verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. And she was full of good works and acts of charity. Stop right there. Joppa is a town that's on the, on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. It's about 30 miles west of Jerusalem. 
And commentators agree that this seems to have been a, a Greek settlement in, in a predominantly Gentile area. And, and scripture says there's this disciple there named Tabitha. And it hasn't been very long. And the gospel's already spread from Jerusalem to this area. And there's believers there. There's disciples there. And this Christ follower's name is Tabitha. That's an Aramaic. And it gives us the Greek, her, her name in Greek, Greek, which is Dorcas. In English, it means gazelle. And I love that. This gazelle is a very graceful creature. And, and this, is, this is a lady just full of grace. I just love that. How the Lord does that. Her name really applies to her. Verse 36 says this female disciple was full of good works and acts of charity. What do you think of when you think of full of good works? That means something that she was doing very regularly. It was part of her normal life, day-to-day life. Like different things that we do every, every day or every week. This woman was going around generously helping people. She was doing good works. And in performing, and she was also performing acts of charity. No bones about it, she's giving money to folks. Okay, folks who were in need. Let's pick up in 37. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since little was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. Now, it's only about a three or four hour walk from Lydda to Joppa. And all this happened really quickly, okay? Tabitha died. The disciples knew that that Peter was there. He was close, so they sent word about what happened. Um, And he came right away. Let's pick up in 39. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. Pay attention here. All the widows stood beside beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with him. So we have this very practical information here. Dorcas was ministering to this group of widows there in her town. And she was making clothing for them. And a tunic is very um, basic clothing. And Tabitha was meeting these basic needs of these widows. Now, in the first century, being a widow was a terrible position to be in. Okay? It's, it's different than it is now. Okay? They had very little or no way to provide for themselves. The, the men in their families would do that. But if there were none, then you didn't have any income. And especially in their age, in their age, they could become utterly destitute. A widow in the first century was a very poor person. And, and they couldn't help themselves. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't do something to, to help themselves. They were like trapped. And this disciple was caring for these widows. And they deeply mourned at her death. They loved her because she loved them. Right? And this is a great example of what a Christ follower looks like. This is what Jesus did in his ministry, right? He helped those who couldn't help themselves. He helped them physically. And then he would often use that situation 
to share the gospel so that they would be helped spiritually. Scripture is clear. When we're lost, we're spiritually dead. And when you're dead, you can't help yourself. You're helpless. We all need Jesus. Tabitha used her gifts and resources to help those who could not help themselves. H.A. Ironside has this to say about this passage on Dorcas. Take a look at this quote up on the screen. The ideal Christian is the one who is resting in Christ for his soul's salvation. And now his great concern is not his own salvation, but that of others. He's interested and interested in making Christ known and in doing good in a temporal way to others. John insists on this, and James asks, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now listen carefully, brothers and sisters. Reaching those who cannot help themselves is the highest calling for a believer. And I want you to hear this as well. Listen carefully here. I guarantee you that reaching those in need, both physically and spiritually, will not happen by accident. It happens intentionally. Being on mission for the Lord only happens intentionally. I know before I came to Christ, I was with believers all the time. Unbelievers, I'm sorry. I was with unbelievers all the time. But afterwards, fewer and fewer of them wanted to be around me. I Go figure. <laughs> And before too many years, almost everyone I spent time with was a believer. And it's perfectly understandable, right? It's very comfortable. Low stress. Very little trouble in your life. Almost no effort. But it's also not obedient. H.I. Iron has, Ironside has this to say. Here's another quote from him. This dear woman loved the Lord and manifested it in a very practical way. She was not satisfied with reading her Bible only. She had a consecrated needle and used it for the blessing of other people. And the Spirit of God has preserved this record that we might learn from it. And importantly, not forget it. Scripture has a lot of examples of the gospel spreading by the gifts that God has given believers. Stephen shared the gospel and loved those he witnessed to even as they were stoning him. Philip explained scripture and who Jesus was to the Ethiopian eunuch. He had a question. He explained it. Peter broke Jewish custom and he went into the home of a Gentile and shared the gospel with Cornelius. Lydia, the first reported Christian in Europe, used her gift of hospitality and her house for the church to meet. 
The Philippian jailer, he was saved and subsequently shared the gospel with his family and they were all saved. Timothy's mother and grandmother, Lois and Eunice, trained him up in the word and he became a church leader and a church planner. Your gift may not be sewing. Your gift may be carpentry or cooking, bookkeeping, auto mechanics, gardening, financial planning, any one of a thousand different things. And I, but I want to challenge you this morning. Make a plan to put your gifts into service to reach those who cannot help themselves. Use your God-given gifts and talents to meet someone who doesn't know the Lord, build a relationship, and share with them how God saved you. When they experience your love and your sacrifice, then they'll know how much you love them and they'll know how much you love God. And then they'll be open to hear your witness. We'll only be the witnesses that Jesus commands if we intentionally make plans and then act on them. Your gifts are the key to developing relationships with those who don't know Jesus. Relationship is the key to opening the door to be a witness. Okay? We're not calling you, telling you to stand on a box with a sign and yell at people on the street corner. Okay? Develop relationship. Love on folks. Love them. Greatest commandment, remember that? Love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. When you love and serve this way, then your acts of compassion will be truly effective for the kingdom purpose God has for your life. The truth we need to hang on to today. We serve those who cannot help themselves so that we may show God's love and share the true truth of Christ with them. By the way, that's the truth for the week in your study guide. Hint, hint, hint. This is the strategy Okay, this is, the, this is the how of missions, serving and loving. Let's pick up in verse 40. But Peter put them all, the widows outside, and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known all, throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. What an awesome testimony to the power of God here and the life of this saint. God raised her from the dead and everybody heard about it. And all through Joppa, these people who had come to know this woman, this disciple, they heard about this and they praised God. This woman whose love and gifts and service, God used her life and her death to bring about the salvation of many people. And I also want, some, want to point something out here. You'll notice that the focus in this passage is not on preaching. It's on serving. 
The subsequent work of the the salvation the Lord brought was through service. When Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, he intended that we lay our lives down, that we die to our selfishness, we die to our self-satisfaction, and follow him, follow his command, follow his example, and reach those who are doomed to destruction around us. To reach those who are utterly helpless, that cannot save themselves, to serve them and bless them and share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Now, if you're here this morning and you've not given your life over to Jesus, I I pray you will. And as I already discussed, God did a miracle of my life. He changed me utterly. And I have a life that's worth living now. I have a joy I never had. A peace that surpasses all understanding. I have an abundant life now. And I have everlasting life with him. He wants to do that for you too. He loves you. He loves you so much he sent his only son that whoever believes would not perish but would have eternal life. Let's pray.